You're listening to the SSPX podcast. This is a series of conferences given by Father Thomas Asher of the Society of St. Pius X on the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to be seen as a private retreat, a retreat that you can do while you're sheltering in place or at your house, perhaps with some extra time. For more conferences, resources such as downloadable uh, instructions and information about Holy Week, as well as live mass times, please visit corona.sspx.online. Or for all of our conferences, please visit sspxpodcast.com. Now here's Father Asher. The Annunciation. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel, being come in, said unto her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Who, having heard, was troubled at his saying, and thought with herself what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found grace with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and thou shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of David his father, and he shall reign in the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be done, because I know not man? And the angel answering said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee, and therefore also the Holy which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her that is called barren, because no word shall be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And so now, let us read back through the text a second time, one verse at a time, considering if there's any application that we might make to our own lives. Now, verse 26, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee called Nazareth. In the sixth month, we may be tempted to wonder why why the delay? Why not sooner? The precursor, of course, John the Baptist, he's already been conceived. He's there. Someone might ask, why not get on with it? It's a good reminder here because of this delay. It's a good reminder that we must wait for God's time. Sometimes we have ideas, we have plans, we have things that, that we think should be done. And perhaps God tells us to wait. God being either either my superior or the, the, the plans of divine providence, or maybe the weather that causes a delay, whatever it might be. If there's a delay, it's a reminder that, that everything is going to be done, but it has to be done in God's time. We can remember our Lord in the gospel telling us to seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and everything else would be given to us. Seeking the kingdom of God is nothing else than resigning ourselves to following his will, conforming our will to his. And of course, in, in many instances in our life, God's will is not always so apparent. Sometimes we're, we're forced to stumble in the dark and we think, well, okay, this is what I'm expected to do. This is what God wants for me. And, and yet he tells us no. He makes it clear by the circumstances in our life that arise that this is not the, the sacrifice, it's not the work, it's not the undertaking that, 
that he wants from us right now. We can become discouraged perhaps, but we have to understand that that we are meant to follow God's providence and not, not provoke it. It's a common trap sometimes to maybe present things, present facts in such a way that our superior accedes to our requests, accedes to our desires. But is that really the will of God? If we haven't been completely open, if we haven't been completely honest, let us be on guard and and let us again follow providence. We see in this verse an angel being sent, an angel which is the the highest of, of all God's creatures in the natural order, and yet here he's sent like an errand boy. We see that again that he's he's sent, he's on a mission. And we too, we can say that when we when we are doing our duties of state, when we are fulfilling the, the, the will of God, that we too have a mission. We too are sent and are meant to to bring the good news of Christ to to our neighbor, especially when, when it's a question of obedience to our to our lawful superiors. It's our, our actions in that case, they carry with them a, a special grace. Even when it's something that is seemingly good, we should be very careful if it is done in disobedience, again, to the lawful superiors. Remember, God says in the Holy Scripture that I, I desire obedience and not sacrifice. The great uh, misfortune, of course, that befell Saul, thinking he was doing good, when in fact he was he was displeasing God. Now at the end of the verse we read that he sent again by God into a city of Galilee called Nazareth. Now to us of course this this town is a a, a lovely town. It's a it's a it's a beautiful town. It's a, a renowned and famous and and glorious town. We'd we'd love to go to the Holy Land. We'd love to visit it and walk those same streets. And yet in the time of our Lord. It was one of the least, one of the most wretched. Remember later in the gospel, one of the apostles is going to ask, can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a, really a backwater. It was a, the least or most wretched, we can say, in the eyes of the world. If we, if we put it in today's terms, it'd be like um, God sending an angel to a, to a virgin in, in Dead Mule, North Dakota, or someplace like that. It really is... Um, an out-of-the-way place. It's, again, least in the eyes of the world, and yet we know that God chooses the lowly, he chooses the humble, in order to make manifest his great power. Verse 27. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now this is a fulfillment, of course, of of a prophecy that a virgin would conceive. It's in the book of Isaiah. It's chapter 7, verse 11 uh, in, in Isaiah. And the verse reads, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God, either unto the depth of hell or unto the height above. And Achaz said, I will not ask, and I will not tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye therefore, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to be grievous to men that you are grievous to my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. We see in the scriptures that she's espoused. And the reason for this, the fathers of the church tell us, is for the benefit of our Lord, so that he might not be thought illegitimate. And also because the genealogy of children was traced through the male line. And so it's through Joseph's genealogy that we know that of our Lord. And this fulfills another prophecy that, of course, he would be born 
of the house of David, and lastly, for the benefit of our Lord, that he might have a proper protector. Now, St. Thomas says it's also for Mary's benefit that she be espoused to Joseph, so that she might not be thought an adulteress, and of course be subject to the law and be stoned. Now we can see in all of this the wisdom of God arranging things, and we can imagine what an, what an honor this was for Joseph to be chosen. Of all the men who have ever lived, it is Joseph who is chosen to be the head of the Holy Family. It is Joseph who's going to be considered the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of the Word made flesh. It is Joseph who is the spouse of the mother of God, and he is the one who's going to to teach our Lord. He is the one who's going to train him how to use the tools in the carpenter shop. He's the one that's going to be teaching him about the faith, taking him up to the temple to perform the, the sacrifices necessary under the law. What an honor for Joseph to be a, to be associated and to have this role in as, as head of the Holy Family. And so, too, in our own lives, what an honor it is for us to be to be associated with Christ. We sometimes think, or maybe we're tempted to think, well, wow, we're, we're, doing, a, we're doing God a, a favor by giving him our service, by giving him our love, by, by deigning to, to, to bless him with our presence at Mass or in our prayer or what have you. And yet it is, it is he who has chosen us. And so we must never become proud, but recognize that we are but poor sinners. And yet God has loved us and he's given us so, so very much. Now, we see the verse 2 in uh, the same verse, that it is the house of David that our Lord is going to be born into. Now, the house of David, it was a royal a royal household. Of course, he was the king. And yet, the glory, the royal glory of the house of David is long past. It is uh, a lowly and a poor family that he's born into. This, again, illustrates how, how much our Lord loves the humble. He loves the lowly. And let's be honest, the greatest man that has ever lived is, is but mere dust before the majesty and the power of Almighty God. Speaking of the greatest of men, then the end of the verse brings us to the name of this virgin, and her name is Mary. Mary, who we know, is the, is the greatest of all God's creatures, the crown of creation, the queen of the angels, the queen of heaven and earth. And yet, we find her here, this humble, lowly maiden that God chooses to be his mother, and to be not only his own mother, but the mother of, of every member of Christ's mystical body. When we call Mary our mother, it isn't just a, a term of affection. God has given her to us to, to be our mother, and her care and love for us is more than, than even our own biological mother. Now, the name Mary, St. Jerome tells us, it means star of the sea. We see, or we'll see later with the coming of the Magi, how they follow this star and it leads them to Christ. And so too with us, Mary, this star of the sea, it is she that we follow. And in following Mary and imitating Mary, because she so perfectly you know, reproduces Christ's life in her own, when we follow her, it leads us to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, she is said to be, and the fathers of the church say, that she is a, 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 like a star above the fallen sea of humanity. She who was ever without sin from the first moment of her conception to, to her final glorious uh, assumption into heaven and her crowning, being crowned by our Lord as queen of heaven and of earth. 
and again, our queen and mother also. Verse 28, And the angel being come in said unto her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. Now this term, full of grace, gratia plena, this is a reminder of the constant teaching of the church, that from the first moment of her conception, Our Lady was full of grace. There was never a moment of time when Our Our Lady was under the power of the devil, no time when she was not united with Almighty God. And we see that she's full of grace, even even before the Annunciation, even before her glorious uh, assumption, even before, let's say, the, the coming of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost. All of her life she was full of grace, and yet we know that that capacity, her her fullness of grace, her union with God, it was growing from, from the first moment of her conception until the, to the last moment of her life. Her grace and union with our Lord, with, with Almighty God, it grew continuously as it's, as it's meant to, to grow in us. We've all seen in the catechism the analogy of a, of a glass, and the glass is full of water, and yet you can have next to it another glass that is equally full and yet is is much larger, and maybe next to that, a a 55-gallon drum. Hence, when we say that Our Lady grew in grace, it isn't to imply that she was in any way lacking. She was always full. She was always completely united to God, and yet we know that the degree of that union was always increasing. And this is a good reminder in our own lives that we we can never be satisfied with the degree of holiness that we possess. In fact, very often God will, will keep hidden from us our, our virtues and, and our graces. The moment we, we begin to think that we're holy, it's a good, well, let's say it's the best indication that we're not. And the moment uh, that a person begins to think, I'm, I'm humble, well, it's, it's a sure thing that, that they're not. There's an old saying that the, the humble man knows that he's proud. We know that we are but poor sinners, and yet we know that God's grace can heal us. And we know that God wants to do that. And so we should be praying every day for an, for an increase in, in this divine charity that's meant to, to animate every, every facet of our life. So we hear, the Lord is with thee. Well, obviously by grace, God, or our Lord, was already with her. And yet through the incarnation, he's going to be present in her in a, in a new manner, And it's the same here, too, with us when we receive our Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. We mentioned before about Our Lady conceiving our Lord in her heart before she conceived him in her womb. And so, too, when we we already have our Lord living, we have the, the indwelling of the Holy Trinity in our soul, and yet we want to go forward, we want to receive this Eucharistic presence, have our body and and our Lord's united as one in order to be able during those moments of union to to increase our love, to to pour out our our affections upon him. Blessed art thou among women. We see here the angel is effectively telling her that though in the eyes of the world she is lowly, she is nothing, she is even to be despised, again, by, by those living in the world, those who would judge on merely external appearances, she seems to be nothing, and yet we see how she is greater, even now, than, than all women, and of course every creature. If we reflect on this, it can be an encouragement that though we may be nothing in the eyes of the world, it doesn't really matter. 
our Lord will ask, what, is it, what does it profit a man to, to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And so, too, if the, if the world hates us, we know that it's hated our Lord first. In fact, we should be very, very much afraid if we are loved by the world. If we are, I remember a professor in the seminary warning those seminarians, if they are very much blessed, you know, with talent and popularity and maybe physical physical gifts or talents or, or a great intelligence or an eloquence or whatever, he would tell them to be afraid. Because, of course, all those gifts can lead us to pride, which, of course, is going to separate us from God and, and cause us to rely too much on ourselves. When we look at ourselves, we may see nothing. And yet what's really important is how does God view me? And what am I doing to to draw closer to him? Verse 29, who having heard was troubled at his saying and thought with herself what manner of salutation this should be. Who having heard. In the original Greek, the, the, the term heard or the word it implies having seen, and so the angel is 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 uh, apparent, has taken on some sort of visible form. We can imagine he looks uh, like a man, or like we traditionally imagine angels as appearing. And Our Lady is troubled by this. The fathers of the church have said that it was because of her womanly modesty. She's there, she's a young maiden, and now suddenly this man is in the room with her, and she she draws back. I mean, it is... A natural reaction. We see that she's troubled. Now, this message that's been brought to her, Our Lady, again, she's absolutely sinless. There's never a moral fault of any kind in her. And yet we see that despite being sinless, she doesn't always understand. She doesn't always grasp immediately the will of God. We'll see this again and again throughout the the Gospels. And this too is, is maybe a an encouragement or a, uh, a consolation for us. If Our Lady many times was disturbed by what she heard or troubled or um, confused and, and is forced then to ponder, to reflect on these words in her heart, as we'll see again and again, well then what wonder if you and I, poor sinners that we are, don't always understand God's word, don't, under, don't always understand his will in our life. Why would God allow this? I don't know. But I do know that he loves me, and I, I know that this is for my greater good, whatever, whatever the trial or cross may be. She wonders in herself what manner of salutation this may be. Now, you may remember in, uh, when the angel appears to Zachary to announce to him the, the, the birth or the conception, rather, of John the Baptist. Remember, there's, there's a doubt in Zachary's heart. Well, how's this going to be? I'm an old man, and my, my wife is old. And he's punished for that lack of faith, that lack of belief. And so with Our Lady, there's certainly no, no lack of faith. She doesn't discount, uh, discount what, the, what the angel is saying, but she's trying to discern. From this, too, we can learn that we, we don't want to believe every inspiration. We don't want to believe every, every bit of news. But we rather, as St. John would say, we want, to, we want to try the spirits. We want to test them to discern whether or not they truly be from God. As a side note, we go back to the Garden of Eden, and there, too, we see Eve, um, the first Eve, Our Lady being, of course, the, the, the second Eve, as our Lord is, is called or labeled the, the second Adam. We see that Eve in the Garden, remember, she was presented with a message by an angel, a fallen angel. And, of course, she allows herself to be drawn into a dialogue. She allows herself to be deceived. And, again, it's, it's rude as in pride. And she falls. The very moment that the serpent or Lucifer 
had called into question the goodness, the truthfulness, and the love of Almighty God, she should have cut it off and walked away. This is where the discernment of spirits again comes in, and St. Ignatius would tell us that when we discern and we see something is from the devil, we don't, we don't dally, we don't toy with the temptation, but rather we cut it off. On the other hand, of course, when we discern and we see that, yes, this clearly is something God wants from me, well, we don't delay. And we're going to see that in, in the example of Our Lady. She's going to discern the spirits here. She's going to see um, if this message, you know, again, applying the analogy of faith, if it coincides with what she knows to be the will of God. And then we're going to see that the moment that she, it is clear, she doesn't hesitate. She embraces. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found grace with God. Fear not. This is good advice. Anytime that we resolve to pursue perfection, as I mentioned before, when we are dissatisfied with where we are, we we make the the resolution that I'm, I'm going to serve God better. I'm going to be more faithful, more generous, more sacrificial, whatever. The devil's going to do everything he can to dissuade us. He's going to inspire us with fear. The idea that this is, this is too tough. I can't go on. This cross is too heavy. And we must not fear. Fear is one of those fruits or odors that we, when we detect it in our soul, we can be sure that it is not from God. As long as, again, we are pursuing perfection. The good angel, when he comes, he brings peace. He brings consolation. He brings strength. The angel tells her, thou hast found grace before God. It would not be entirely wrong to maybe turn that around and say, rather that grace found her. When we speak of God's grace, we're speaking of his love. And the funny thing about God's love is that it is not attracted by goodness. Your love and my love, we love those things that we find to be good. A man sees a girl, he says, oh, wow, she's pretty. He goes, he speaks to her, and she's Catholic, and she's, you know, seems to be interested in him or whatever. And the more he learns about her, the more he loves her. But God's love works differently. It isn't attracted. It's not like God sees um, St. Teresa of Avila and says, wow, look at her. She's holy. I love her. It is rather that God's love it was, is what makes a thing good, is what makes a thing holy. If Our Lady is so holy, so great before God, it is because God has poured out so much of himself, so much of his love upon her. This is something we'll probably come back to later in these conferences, but for now, it can be a great consolation for us. We might look at our, our sinfulness, our wretchedness, and we, we may say, well, how could God ever love me? I'm so bad. Well, it's a consolation that God doesn't love you because you're good. God loves you because, because he is good. We pray every Sunday in the creed that for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. And the fathers of the church have, have encouraged us that the more sinful we are, the more wretched we are, the more we have a claim to God's, to God's mercy, to God's, to God's love, to his, to his affection. Now, this doesn't mean that we rest in sin. St. Paul addressed that and well, you know, where sin abounded, grace did, did more abound. And so the question is, well, then we should sin more so we get more grace. And, of course, St. Paul says, no, God forbid. Absit, absolutely not. Our Lord makes it clear in the Gospels when he receives someone back, he forgives them. He always sends them away with the injunction to go and sin no more. And in many cases, he adds, lest something, something worse happen to you. 
It's usually a physical ailment that he's healed. And yet, of course, the worst thing would be that they fall back into sin. And then, of course, being separated and cut off from God in this life, should they die, being separated forever. Verse 31. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Here the angel is expounding the mission that is being offered to her by, by Almighty God. And what he's saying, there seems to be some conflict with what she already knows about God. Tradition tells us that Mary had vowed her virginity to, to Almighty God at a very early age, making that vow in the temple. Tradition tells us as well that her marriage to Joseph was a, was a chaste marriage. It was a true marriage, and yet they had agreed that they would not exercise their marital rights. And now this angel is appearing, telling her that she's going to conceive and that she's going to be a mother. Again, we see the conflict between what she has already promised God and now what's being presented. The angel continues in verse 32. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of David his father, and he shall reign in the house of Jacob forever. Reading that just now, it occurred to me that this this could be, you know, again, she doesn't know if this is a good angel or, like, like Eve in the garden, maybe a bad angel proposing something. But if it was going to be the devil, well, how would he do it? We would promise certainly greatness. Oh, we're going to restore the, the, the throne of David, and he's going to reign forever, and it's going to be a glorious kingdom. And we could see how that might tempt someone away from their previous vow, their previous promise to God, because of the promise of, of worldly grandeur. When the angel says that he will rule the, the house of Jacob, reign in the house of Jacob forever, the fathers of the church tell us that this refers to the multitudes of Jews who would receive and believe in him, as well as the Gentiles. St. Paul, when he was writing to the Romans, he made it clear that all are not Israelites, when you were talking according to the flesh, but the true Israelites are those who by faith would, would be the spiritual children of Abraham and Israel, those among the Gentiles whom, whom God preferred to the Jews in the flesh, to the Israelites in the flesh who rejected Christ. It makes it clear, too, that, that this kingdom having no end, and that's verse 33, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. It makes it clear, then, that it's a spiritual kingdom that's being referred to, not a, not a merely a temporal or, or material kingdom. Christ is going to reign in the hearts and in the minds of men. In verse 34, we see Mary, again, continuing to discern. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be done? Because I know not man. St. Augustine, commenting on this verse, said that this question would have been to no purpose if she had not already made a vow to God to always live as a virgin. Her normal reaction would have been, Oh, this is wonderful. Wait till I tell, wait till I tell Joseph. The implication, of course, is not only because I know not man, but the implication is, and I'm not going to. St. Gregory of Nyssa said that Our Lady held her purity in higher estimation than the proposed dignity. And so, too, we should have certainly a great, a great love, a great attachment to this virtue of chastity and, and to, to virginity, if we are called to that state. It is through the virtue of purity that we are said to be made like unto the angels, who, of course, don't have material bodies and the, the desires of the flesh. Verse 35, And the angel answering said to her, 
the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. And therefore also the Holy, which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. So the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The angel is telling her that it's by the divine power that she will conceive. Her vow of virginity will not be broken. She will be allowed to, to preserve that, that crown, that glory. St. John Chrysostom on this verse, again referring to Our Lady's purity, said, Has, Had she not been so pure, she would not have been worthy of so great a dignity. And so too, here again, let us consider the esteem that we should have for holy virginity or for chastity, at least according to our state in life. Verse 36, And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her that is called barren. Verse 37, Because no word shall be impossible with God. Now our Lord Jesus Christ, in order to give motives of credibility for his claims to be the Son of God, to his claims to be the Messiah, he would work miracles. He would give signs of his divine power by working miracles. And our Lord, in fact, would even tell them, uh, tell the, the scribes and the Pharisees, if you don't believe me, you know, if you don't believe my words, believe at least the works that I do. So the angel here with Mary is doing the same thing. He's giving her motives to make her belief easier, to make her belief reasonable. And the motive of credibility that's given is the miracle that her cousin Elizabeth who was barren, she is now with child. And if God is able to do that, well, he can do the same in a virginal womb. It's worth pointing out that, that Elizabeth, of course, she married into the tribe of Levi. This was the, the, the priestly tribe, the, the tribe that had the priest that offered the sacrifices. And of course, Our Lady, she married in the tribe of Judah. And commentators will tell us that it's to show that our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, is both king and priest. And again, the miracle of Elizabeth conceiving is presented as a proof of the divine origin of the message the angel brings. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So as we explained before, Mary has discerned what the angel has said has coincided with what she already knows about God and her previous promises and so seeing that this is the will of God, she doesn't hesitate. I mentioned before, we need to be very careful about um, not only saying no to God, if it makes you know, if God makes it clear that he wants something from us and we say no, well, that can be a sin. And yet we want to be careful of even saying not right now to God, because this will pave the way to saying no, absolutely. As an example, perhaps it becomes clear that God is... God wants me to go help this person. And I say, well, I will, but first, um, let me check my email. And, and I delay. I don't, I don't correspond with that grace. And later, the grace comes to me again. Hey, I really need to go help that person. Well, I will, but let me just, let me just run to the store quick first. And then again, you know, it's delayed. It's put off. And then the, the inspiration comes again. And, and I put it off again. I always have some reason until eventually it becomes too late and, and the, the, the person doesn't, doesn't need my help any longer. The person is now gone and I can't help them. The same goes when we are inspired to, you know, in our, in our prayer. I know that I should say my rosary today and I have some free time now. There's no conflict with my duties of state. Um, I should do this, but not right now. 
And then again, the inspiration comes maybe later in the day. I need to say my rosary. And again, I say, not right now. And then again later until, you know, eventually it's 11 o'clock at night. I said, oh, I haven't said my rosary today. Well, uh, I'll do it tomorrow. This is, this is a very bad habit to get into. If we see that this is God's will, we embrace it, as Our Lady does here. And as I mentioned before, if I see that something is not good, I don't toy with it, I reject it, and I flee. Now, I didn't mention it when I read this gospel the first time at the start of this conference, but verse 39, let us just look at that. That takes us into the next mystery, the, the, the second joyful mystery, which is the, the visitation. And we read in verse 39, And Mary, rising up in those days, went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. And we know that there she's going to take care of her cousin Elizabeth. Now, let us learn from this that Our Lady, by her fiat, by her acceptance, um, she conceived in her womb. Our Lord is now in her womb. She is, from this moment, she is the mother of God. And yet we see her going to, to act as a servant girl to her cousin, who she knows is old, who she knows is in need. When we look at the, the consolations that we may have in our life or the inspirations that, that come to us, we should be very wary. We should, we should beware of, of a, any spirit that does not lead to, to, to work and to self-sacrifice. We, we see that Our Lady, she doesn't set complacent in the, in the consolations of God, but she goes now to help her neighbor. Let us learn from this then not to simply rest in the consolations, you know, the, the warm, fuzzy feelings we may have um, when, we, when we think about God or when we pray, but let all of those consolations, all of that love that we feel in our heart, let it be a spur and a motive for us to do something for God today. Now, not falling, of course, into a spirit of activism, but being very diligent in carrying out our duties of state, being very diligent in our, in our love of God, our, our service towards him. And then, of course, as our, our Lord makes clear, in that other side of that same love, the, the two sides of the same coin, which is the love of neighbor. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and thy neighbor as thyself. This is the great commandment. And these days, even more than, than any other, let us practice this charity towards neighbor, beginning in our homes, with our spouse, with our children, with our parents and siblings, and then, of course, with our neighbor, and particularly those in these trying times who are most in need. Take care and God bless you.